0: It's just after eight o'clock in the big city. It's time for America's favorite Las Vegas sports show, Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah, what up? Party's going on. Duh. For peace of mind, visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. Leverers Union 872, the builders of Allegiant Stadium, and the Las Vegas Ballpark, home of the aviators. Promodirect.com. Use K-10 for a 10% 10% discount on your promotion items ordered. Promodirect.com and by William Hill Racing Sportsbook. America's leading racing sportsbook. Visit WilliamHill.us So get ready because SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson
1: starts Now. now. Alright, KT Live, Wednesday night, you know it's hump day, where is KT? 1750 North Buffalo, it is one of three Steiner's Pubs in the Vegas Valley to serve you no place I'd rather be on a Wednesday night pretty good crowd in here, bar is packed, and a bunch of the tables, the booths but still plenty of room for you, so come on, make it down, 1750 North Buffalo is where we're at, 8168 Las Vegas Boulevard South, over there on the other side of the valley, and of course 8410 West Cheyenne, also on the west side and that's the original, now in their 25th year here at Uh, Steiner's Pub and of course they are the original Steiner's Pub here and then uh, 1750 North Buffalo I think was the third of the three and uh, just great food, great spirits what they don't have on tap they've got in the bottle Great service, kind of tops it all off. The gaming's outstanding as well. You've got your uh, video keynote, video poker. It's all there for the taking, and uh, great service. That's what kind of tops it off at all three Steiner's Pub locations. I was talking to Roger Sachs uh, about that today, and to, of course Roger oversees all three Steiner's Pub locations, and you know, that's something he's really proud about is that the service is top of the line. He's got a lot of people, a lot of employees at all three locations that have been there for a long time. They make pretty good money, but, uh, you know, it's that chemistry and good camaraderie. And always enjoy myself at all three Steiner's Publications, But really, it's been, you know, on and off about 14 years here. I was talking with Roger this morning and he says, yeah, it's been about 14 years. I think I took a little hiatus there when I was over at Lagasse Stadium and I miss some Wednesdays there, but overall, it's been a long time and it's been a great relationship with Steiner's Pub. So come on down. If you don't make it down to the one that I'm at on Wednesday nights, go to 8168 Las Vegas Boulevard South. That's right there at Windmill or 8410 West Cheyenne. And again, top of the line on the food, 24-hour kitchen, uh, homemade soups, homemade salad dressings, and then just a very diverse menu. And the service, like I said, is impeccable. Great show in store for you as always on Wednesday nights. Mark Lawrence, Playbook Sports, going to join me in just a sec. Coming up at about 8.35, 8.37, right around there. Art Dice 21, Arthur De Caesar, Westgate Superbook. Stopped in and saw Art today. And uh, then our number two, my good pal from the City of Angels. He is Chuck Hayes. And Chuck, of course, uh, he and I go over a lot of things uh, as far as the AFC West because he covers the Chargers. NFC West, he covers the Rams. USC, he, uh, along with Coach Harvey Hyde, they do the USC Trojan Report right here on KDWN on Saturday nights. We get into the Trojans, the UCLA Bruins, and both those teams in the mix as far as the Pac-12 along with the Oregon Ducks, as far as potentially having a shot to make it to the college football playoff. Real quick, college football tonight, action continues, uh, Mid-American Conference, Northern Illinois on the road, beats Western Michigan 24-21 in a pick'em game. Game stays under the total. Central Michigan, great comeback, beats Buffalo at home 31-27. They actually went off a three-point favorite, but do get the cover on the opening and closing number. Total was 54, game does get over as uh, a lot of points by Central Mission that second half, 31-27 hits 58, meanwhile 40-6, Kent State, they've been struggling and hadn't covered a spread in a long time, but they beat up on my good pal Brad Powers, his alma mater, Bowling Green, getting pummeled. Falcons go down at home to Kent State, 40-6. Tons of games in the NBA, I'll get to all of those later on right now at the half, Kings lead the Cavs, 69-58 and the Clippers had a big 14-point lead, but it's down to 2 at halftime, they lead the Lakers 54-52 on the ice Uh, just one game going after one minnesota at anaheim no score i'll get you the other three finals and there were five games Uh, no there was probably about 12 games in uh, college basketball of course college basketball starting up with a hundred and some odd games on monday And, uh, boy, my head was on a swivel getting involved in a bunch of those games in-game wagering. But uh, we'll talk a little Raiders with Mark Lawrence and uh, also with Art Dice and Chuck Hayes. And, Mark, got to ask you real quick, Jonathan Abram let go by the Raiders, picked up quickly by Green Bay. And I know he maybe was a guy that... You know didn't fit in with coach McDaniels but I still think Jonathan Abram has potential to be a big-time player I know they didn't want to pick up that second contract that's the one that's going to cost you some pretty good money and so Cleveland Farrell and uh, you know uh, Jonathan Abram uh, neither of those guys getting that second contract I do think Josh Jacobs will end up getting that second contract from the Raiders but Mark, overall, surprised as far as the Raiders. I mean, two and six out of the gate. It's been woeful here. Uh, the you know atmosphere here in Vegas is not good. As far as not only you know Raider fans that are coming out, a lot of them come out from California, uh, season ticket holders for the game, and uh, just just not happy. And for a team that only lost five games in 60 years, when they had a lead of 17 points or more to have already lost three of those 17-point leads this year in eight games. It's mind-boggling.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of a train wreck going on out there right now, Kenny, in your backyard, and uh, not good, obviously, for Raider Nation. And these moves that the Raiders have been making, it appears to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears to me like there's some house cleaning going on from the Mike Mayock draft years. And I think they want to kind of bring their own crew in there and not have to live with the contracts that were paid out for these football players that just aren't producing. So some work to be done for the Raiders for sure.
1: All right. Uh, plenty of games, uh, college football and, of course, NFL. Mark, your take coming away from the two big SEC games, LSU taking care of business on Bama and Georgia, very dominant. And I was rather surprised with Tennessee on the lack of, of innovation from an offensive coordinator turned head coach in Josh Heupel. There was just nothing that Hendon Hooker did to let me feel that he was worthy, number one, of a Heisman Trophy, but also from Heupel. I mean, I just don't get it. How many times can you drop a guy back that has the capability to run and you never roll the guy out. It, it boggles my mind. I just don't get it. And for Hendon Hooker to just stand back there time after time after time and get pummeled, it makes no sense to me. I see the same thing with the Raiders. Where, I mean, look, Derek Carr is not Hendon Hooker as far as you know, speed-wise, but Derek Derek Carr is a, an agile athlete that can get outside the pocket and change things up, at least you know give the defense something else to think about. And for me to watch Tennessee, as well as Hendon Hooker played against Alabama, this was... A guy that, you know, did nothing on his own was almost and he's, and he's 25 years old. I mean, he's not a kid. So, I mean, you would think, after getting sacked time and time again or hurried or pressured, that you would take off and do something different. And I never saw it, never saw the screen passes really evolve consistently, never saw him roll to the right, roll to the left. Even when he was in trouble, he waited too long, and then everything congested, and he went down most of the time or, you know, just threw the ball away. So I thought a, a just a pathetic performance by Tennessee, and... It's funny the way that the college football playoff has worked out to where Tennessee, of course, was vaulted up to number one, which still gives the SEC an opportunity to get two teams in the top four. They know what they're doing, Mark. I'm telling you, you can say conspiracy theorists, but when Tennessee got that number one spot, because they're on the same half as Georgia, both coming from the east, they know that if Bama went down or if that team from the west – has a two has two losses, which is you know highly probable. Uh, you know whether it's LSU, uh, you know if Bama can get back in, or whether it's Ole Miss. You know it just it, it's still set up where there's a chance that Tennessee can still get in, even though they got dominated by Georgia. That oh by the way touchdown to make it 27-13 makes it look a little better. But Mark, that should have been a 35 point game.
2: Now that was a one-way street that football game, Kenny. And uh, what I can say is, the points you mentioned were 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 spot on about the Tennessee performance in the football game. It wasn't nearly as close as the final score indicated. And you're never good when you look uh, as you look in a bad in a bad performance like Tennessee put forward there. You can pick out the things that weren't right. Maybe Hooker should have rolled out on his own rather than sit back in the pocket. Who knows? But the bottom line is they got beat by a pretty good football team, that being the Georgia Bulldogs, who went into the game looking to make amends for the fact that they got uh, posted up as the number three team in the initial college football poll ranking, number one in the other polls, but number three in the college football playoff ranking. And they ended up uh, taking care of that right away. So they sit number one now, clear across the board in all three polls.
1: All right, yeah, and their defense definitely looked apart, no question about it. They hemmed Hooker in and did a real nice job there. All right, USC plays a Friday game against Colorado. Look, they were without Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, their two best receivers. They've missed them for a couple games now, and there's a good chance they could miss on Friday as well. They're very deep at the receiving core. End of the day, Colorado comes limping in, and this is not a good Colorado team. So USC shouldn't have a problem. But it's a big number to lay. 34 points, Mark Lawrence, at the Coliseum. I think you still get a pretty good crowd because SC and Caleb Williams are both involved. Number one, potentially getting to the playoff. And Caleb Williams right now sitting, uh, according to a lot of people that I know that have Heisman votes, sitting right there at number two, number three, right there.
2: Well, that a really an ideal situational spot for USC Kenny uh, not only is it uh, laying a ton of points which they they're not very good laying big lumber. I think they're one in five to the number the last six times they've laid 20 or more points. but they've got more importantly UCLA up next and Notre Dame behind them. They've got bigger fish to fry to cook on down the road looking past Colorado. And the question here is will they play down to Colorado's level? because Colorado's level is really only surface. It doesn't go deep at all. It's right on the surface. Uh, They handled Colorado in Boulder last year. They beat them 37-14 with an easy win and cover here. This could be a bad letdown spot for Southern California playing down to the level of the Buffalo.
1: All right. All right, I was going to say uh, Notre Dame, very impressive in their win over Clemson. Now they go to Annapolis against Navy. Could be some inclement weather there. Uh, We'll wait and see as things could travel up the coast uh, with the storm. But high winds expected at least early on a few days before game time. That's the prediction. Navy catching 15-and-a-half. A A lot of times this game's close. doesn't matter what Navy's record is. They go in there, and they're just not intimidated by Notre Dame. And Notre Dame coming off the big win against Clemson. Your take on 15-and-a-half points, Navy at home in Annapolis, total 39-and-a-half
2: been a one-way street dominated by Notre Dame. The series has. they won 37 of the last 41 games, but the question here is whether or not Navy can stay under this number, and I think it's an ideal spot for them to do just that. Catching if you will, the Irish off that big upset win over Clemson here. This is really an opportune let, uh, letdown spot for Nate, Navy to go in there and cash this ticket. Uh, they've cashed a lot of tickets inside this series here. And, in fact, uh, the last 21 times when they've been in this series and they've been off a win, Navy's gone 15-6 and six to the number here. It's all about situational handicapping here, and I think Notre Dame is not in the best of situations here. I could only take the points in the game.
1: Nebraska, good chance Casey Thompson could not miss. He's listed as questionable right now with that elbow injury. Nebraska goes to the big house. Michigan minus 31. It's a big number, but they're sitting right now inside the uh, top four as far as the playoff. We know that will shake its way out as Michigan and Ohio State have to meet later on, but Michigan doesn't want to slip up at all. Don't think they slip up here, but what about all those points? 31 going to the big red, 48-and-a-half-year total from Ann Arbor.
2: Well, obviously, Michigan has the huge edge defensively in this football game. That's the reason, number one, they're undefeated. Number two, they're laying this many points in this football game here. I think uh, what is more on Nebraska's mind than Michigan in this particular game is who will be their new head coach come next year. There's a lot of people out there that would really look good on the sidelines in Lincoln. Matt Rule possibly, Gary Patterson maybe if they can lure Jeff Monken over there. So maybe the focus is that way for Nebraska because they're not really playing as well, obviously, this year as it was anticipated when they let Scott Frost go really early on after the first game of the season here. This is a tough call for me because you'll never find me laying this many points in a football game, especially when, again, to use that same phrase, Michigan has bigger fish to fry with the Buckeyes coming up in a couple of weeks.
1: All right. so Mark Lawrence has big plays on Louisville Clemson coming up. He's got uh, some big plays on some of the other big college games as well. He's got an upset of the week. All of this inside the Playbook Sports newsletter. He's got a big play on Bama game against Ole Miss. That should be a good one to see if Bama can bounce back against Lane Kiffin's boys who are looking to give the Crimson Tide their third loss of the season. My God, who to have thunk it? And then he's also got a big game with Arkansas and LSU, and how impressive LSU was. Jaden Daniels has been playing outstanding ball. So we're not going to get into those games, but there's a bunch of other good, solid college games and a bunch of NFL games. We've got four teams on the buy as far as the NFL, but it gets real interesting this time of year. What about Kansas State? Because Martinez did come back. They go to Baylor in Waco, Baylor minus two and a half, 53.
2: Oh, Ken, Baylor's playing some pretty good football right now, Kenny. They were the team that was targeted because they won the Big 12 championship last year, got out to a little bit of a stutter step to start the season, but they appear to have hit full stride coming into this football game. But I'm a huge Chris Kleiman fan here. I love this football team. I like the way they play, uh, you know, although they beat me in a in a bad way against TCU. But TCU's handed a lot of people bad losses for those that were trying to fade TCU in games this football season here. I like Kansas State in this football contest here. I know Baylor can clinch a Big 12 championship if they run the table going out, but Kansas State can also be in the mix in the run here as well. I think they match up real well with Baylor in this football game. We call the upset in the game, Kansas State to beat Baylor on the scoreboard.
1: All right, so I just looked, and I don't want to be the spoiler alert, but I just looked because we're on the same page as far as Illinois. Illinois comes off a loss against Michigan State. Tucker's guys go in there with all the shenanigans that went on in the tunnel against Michigan they were just looking to get back on the field those that were not suspended so that they could at least focus on an actual game instead of all the other stuff floating around. East Lansing, and they went in and they took care of business against Bielamo's guys in Champaign. Illinois stays home. Purdue comes a calling. But Iowa really shut down Purdue, and that was impressive, but their defense is similar to Illinois' to where that defense usually controls the game unless they're going up against somebody like Ohio State. Illinois at home against Purdue, minus 6.5, and we're on the same page on this one, Mark.
2: Yeah, Illinois, Kenny, surprisingly, is one of only three teams in college football this year that have won the yards in every football game they played. They're also the number one-ranked team in the country in total team defense and scoring defense, so there's a lot of boxes to check. When it comes to handicapping this Illinois football team this year, in this game in particular. And I think that's where the huge edge is on the defense for Illinois. Maybe they haven't cashed as many tickets as they should have with all, you know, all these credentials that I'm talking about that they own. But in matchups like this, big football games, uh, I'm going to lean to Illinois in this football contest here. I still think they're flying under the radar, even though they put up all these great stats and uh, having a surprise year this year. And I like course, Illinois to get the win and the cover here.
1: There you go. And, of course, up in the northwest at Autzen Stadium, one of the best home field advantages on the west coast for sure. Oregon minus the Bakers dozen. 13 and a half actually, 73 total against Washington. And Kalen DeBoer's Huskies, we know the team's capable. They play their best ball in Seattle uh, and that's a lot of points to give in that rivalry. It's like a border war over there with Oregon and Washington. What's your take on that one? We know how good the Ducks are at home. We saw them take UCLA out by 15 at home. But this is a little different when you get the Washington schools and the Oregon schools. Those two states right next to each other. What's your take? Oregon minus 13 and a half at home against Washington.
2: I think Washington's too good of a football team to lay two touchdowns into, regardless of who's laying it inside that Pac-12 conference here. Uh, They got out to a really great, strong start to begin the football season under Kalen DeBoer. They've leveled off a little bit here. But the fact of the matter, Kenny, is they're winning games an average of 139 net yards per game. You lay 13.5 points into a team like that. And I might mention here also that Oregon has Utah up next, playing with nasty double revenge from last year. Utah took them out in the regular season, and Utah beat them in the Pac-12 championships. Perhaps Oregon might be caught looking ahead in a game like this. Even if they're not, this is too many points to lay into a good Husky team. I like Washington plus the points here.
1: All right, so the Falcons at Carolina and Atlanta let one get away last week had an opportunity to take care of business at home but couldn't get it done. Now they lay 2.5 on the road against Carolina, 42 and a half year total, and Walker, P.J. Walker, being uh, replaced by Baker Mayfield last week in the game. Mayfield came on and looked pretty sharp. Your take on this one, Panthers at home, it's not like when they uh, you know, made the trade of Robbie Anderson at, uh, or they fired Matt Rule that this team just kind of threw in the towel. They're still playing rather hard, and it's good to see. I like to see a team, you know, regroup together A lot of those guys don't know, you know, with the new regime coming in, if they're even going to be part of that roster. So they're playing potentially for their jobs. Falcons minus 2.5, 42.5. I don't know if Atlanta should be favored.
2: Well, I don't know if they should either, Kenny. They've only won the yards in one contest they've played. But the reason they're favored here is Carolina is an absolute mess. I know they won a couple of football games after the big changes were made there, the trade of McCaffrey. Uh, everything else going on there. But they've gone to P.J. Walker as the quarterback, and he really, really stunk the joint up last week. Uh, Three for ten for nine yards and two interceptions. Are you kidding me? Now here comes Baker Mayfield in relief, and he lights it up. Baker Mayfield uh, really, really 14 out of 20 for 155 yards with two touchdowns, no picks. And what does Steve Wilkes, the head coach, do? He announces he's going to start P.J. Walker again this week. It doesn't make any sense at all to me. Mayfield's your man moving forward here. I don't understand what this is all about. I think it also blows the mind of the Carolina football players here as well. I'm going to default with a small lead to Atlanta just because of the mess that's going on right now with the Carolina
1: Panthers. All right, here's Mark Lawrence, Playbook Sports. Big plays for Mark Lawrence in the Seattle-Tampa Bay game should be a fun one. Also, Cleveland and Miami, that's a big play, and Green Bay and Dallas. So those three, we're not going to talk about those games. You can get those from Playbook Sports. But, Mark, what about the Raiders? I mean, here's a team we talked about that's uh, limping into a home game against Indianapolis. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, when you're looking at games, there's, you know, a game where you think Matt Ryan in Indianapolis, they're going to be battling Tennessee for the AFC South. And then, of course, the Raiders, they're going to be in the thick of things, made the playoffs last year, going to be battling probably Denver, the chargers for that second spot behind kansas city in the afc west things just haven't panned out for either one of these teams raiders have gotten a lot of money because of uh, the firing of reich and uh, just the problems going on over there for the indianapolis colts your take with jeff saturday taking over the colts against the raiders here at Allegiant stadium raiders up to a six point favorite
2: I don't believe Raiders should be a six-point favorite right now, Kenny. This is a matchup of two train wrecks colliding, going head-to-head here. We all know about what's going on with the Raiders here. The utterly unbelievable second-half performance they put up last week. It was incredible that they could blow a lead like that to Jacksonville, no less. but have to rebound coming back here. I think, personally, that if a new head coach, a first-year head coach, is fired in the course of this first season, it will be Josh McDaniels. He's not on the same page with the players here, and it was evident we saw that again for the third time, as you mentioned, blowing three 17-point losses this year. Now, we can't make a case too much for Indianapolis here. I don't know what's going on with that program here right now. The quarterback situation eroded with Matt Ryan being relieved of his duties. Sam Ellinger is in there right now. I don't know what they're doing. If they're tanking for the number one pick next football season, then they bring in, uh, they fire Frank Reich. They bring in Jeff Saturday, who's never coached a game in his life as the head coach. And he brings in an offensive coordinator from Division III football who's never been an <laughs> offensive coordinator never called a play in his life. <laughs> this is like a fiction novel that's going on right now in Indianapolis. So I think it's a mess, Kenny, and I think the Raiders will win the football game, but I don't know if they can get past six points in the
1: game. As my brother-in-law Zach Wild says, you can't make this crap up. No question about it. All right. Uh, Cowboys at Packers. My gosh, you'd have thought the Packers would be on a five-game sp- <laughs> spin right now. I mean, drop five in a row. And they're catching five at home, Lambeau Field, against the Cowboys, who won their last trip to Lambeau Field. Total is 43. It's a good, solid Cowboys defense. A uh, team that you know doesn't turn it over too much and is just playing better ball. And some of those passes that Aaron Rodgers threw against Detroit were absolutely just out of character. I mean, uh, the one there uh, for the offensive lineman, Bakhtiari, was just underthrown by five yards. I mean, even if that defensive player doesn't come over and pick it off, it's probably going to fall about a yard and a half short to get to the receiver. And these are just... Inexplicable bad throws that we've seen Rodgers make. He just looks like he's not focused. Uh, what about the Cowboys at the Packers? Do you take a shot at Green Bay? I mean, people keep saying, you know what, Rodgers? He's not done yet, and Rodgers still, you know, deflects it over there in the press conferences. But I don't know if uh, if I if I could feel comfortable, you know, taking Green Bay even with five points at home.
2: Well, it's really tough right now because uh, probably the most disappointing team in the National Football League this year would be indeed the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you know they've regressed uh, incredibly uh, all of a sudden in one year, and it wasn't just because of uh, uh, losing De- uh, Devonte Adams, uh, but it's also a part of the mess. Uh, he, he's not on the same page Rogers is with his wide receivers here, and it's apparent and they're not running the same routes. They're just not in tune with one another. But what we've got is a situation here where Aaron Rodgers right now. Uh, is in a role that he's never lost, and he's never lost six football games in a row. And uh, you've also got a situation here where Dallas comes in off a week of rest. Green Bay has really handled rested football teams in the past here before. I'm going to back the Packers for one main reason here, Kenny. You wouldn't believe this, but it's true. They own actually the better offense and the better defense of the two teams that are coming into this football contest. I have to back a home dog that has stats like that.
1: All right, the last one I'll throw at you, the Niners are at home, and we know this team, when they're healthy, I mean, if, if every guy on that team is healthy, including Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa, Christian McCaffrey, you know, Jimmy G., This is my pick to get to the Super Bowl from the NFC. And I know Philadelphia's playing great ball right now and sitting fat. But I just like uh, the defense a little bit more on San Francisco. And I think, you know, when it's uh, that game, even if it's in Philly, I know it'll be a tough environment for them. But San Francisco would be my pick. The Chargers, to give them seven points, it's tough. But they've been banged up. Uh, The receiving core has been you know really banged up Mike Williams will miss again Keenan Allen we see him just about every week questionable with a hamstring same thing this week so you know a lot of uh you know a lot of pressure on the running back out of the backfield Eckler who's done a nice job and Herbert who's uh, pretty solid but I don't know if they can go to San Francisco I know seven looks like a lot but I'd lean still to the Niners where are you on this game
2: I think the big mismatch here, Kenny, if no other reason, in the running game. Uh, San Francisco can run the ball real well. Uh, if you take a look at their at their numbers here, uh, while they're only averaging a twenty a game on the ground, they eat up a lot of time of possession because of the amount of rush attempts they take. That's their trait. That's what Kyle Shanahan does. On the other side, the Chargers can't run the football. Uh, th- through the wind. I mean, they're they're horrible. They're the 29th-ranked team rushing in the National Football League. Justin Herbert has not been healthy, so they've been able to just focus in on him in that passing game. You can't win football games when you've got a one-way attack in a football contest here. I'm with you. I think San Francisco will ultimately end up representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, and I'll lay the points with them here against the Chargers.
1: All right, I'll let you go. Now, it's only uh, a little after midnight back there on the east coast mark so uh, when you hang up i expect you to get down and and i want you to know all all 135 college basketball games for Saturday's car. I mean, it's unbelievable, Mark, when you start looking at this stuff. Like on Monday, they rolled around, and I was just like, man, you got to be kidding me, man. So that's why I paid attention in-game. A lot of times, uh, you know, you get involved in stuff like that. Same thing with fantasy baseball or stuff like that, because it really helps you kind of focus in and get dialed in and at least pay attention to it. So uh, I know college basketball is around the corner for us as far as to start talking about that. we got a lot of college football to go, a lot of NFL. Should be real fun. Let everybody know about playbook sports the newsletter the plays how they get all of that and how they can qualify and get that free edition of the coffee club which you do just an incredible job on each and every morning
2: I appreciate that. Thank you, Kenny, for the kudos. Uh, also, to let you know that I'll let you have all the college basketball fun because I don't start it until December. So you can f- filter through all this stuff, and give me a little bit of a heads up when December gets here, and that's when I'll dive into that college basketball waters. You mentioned our newsletters. We publish three of them, the weekly playbook football newsletter our midweek alert statistical newsletter, and the only totals tip sheet in the country called the totals tip sheet. All available online, playbooks, sports.com. You subscribe to any of them or any of my services, and you'll get my coffee club daily in your inbox each and every day. It's a quick read onto the football card each and every day. All available online at playbooksports.com.
1: Nothing but professionalism from the great Mark Lawrence, at Mark Lawrence on Twitter, Mark's Bill with a C, of course. Same bad time, same bad channel, Mr. Lawrence. Next week, appreciate you as always. My best to Colleen and Junior. We'll talk to you down the line, Mark. Thank you,
2: Kenny. Have a good one. Be well. Stay safe. I'll
1: catch you next week. There you go. Great stuff. Take a break. In just a sec, real quick, I'd uh, advise you, if you're in that demographic between 40 and 72 here in the Vegas Valley or you're coming in to visit, please give a call to the Preventative Diagnostic Center. Go check it out online, pdcenterlv.com, pdcenterlv.com. You can check out the scanner. I mean, we're privied here in the Vegas Valley. We've got the only scanner of its kind in the region that gives you early detection before signs and symptoms of more than two dozen ailments like heart disease, lung disease, cancer. It is phenomenal. Dr. John Pierce and his crew, what they do over there at PD Center is phenomenal. They help people prolong their lives. Why? Because they give them information that they ordinarily would not be able to get. So if you fall demographically between 40 and 72, please give a call. You know the 702 area code already for Vegas. 534-7900, 534-7900, 534-7900. 534-7900, 534 534 You'll let them know Ken Thompson Sports X Radio sent you. They'll set up that free educational consultation. They still continue to roll out the incredible deal on the heart CT scan and calcium score. It's $125 to get that information. Guys, find out. Make sure that Widowmaker's not clogging up. Don't need any of you to have a massive heart attack. Like I told you, had a good buddy, just had a heart attack, had three stints put in his heart. I mean, you never know. And this is a a, a gentleman that's, you know, barely over 60. So you never know uh, when that heart, you know, can give out. So you want to make sure you have that information. And to get that deal, the heart CT scan and calcium score for $125, that's a $600 value. And then your significant other is absolutely free. So a $1,200 value total for $125. When you're there, they'll explain to you how you can get all of your organs checked out. It is really outstanding. Comfortable scan takes just a few minutes, and then you get a detailed report from a board-certified radiologist just a few days later i know you see the tv commercials rolling around the vegas valley don't just write down the number and not call this could be a matter of life and death there are people that are connected there and work there because their lives were prolonged because they found out that they had cancer in early stages and were able to combat that by getting with their physicians after finding out that incredible information PDCenterLV.com, 534-7900-534-7900. Take a break. Come back with my main man, Arthur DeCesar, Westgate Art Dice 21 Follow him on Twitter, at Mark Hoke Show. You follow my good pal Mark Hoke. Mark produces my show, of course. And do not forget the Mark Hoke Show, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. right here, 720 on the AM side, 101.5 on the FM side. We are live, Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. Come on out and see me live from Vegas. FM, 720 AM, KDWN. You're listening to SportsX Radio. I'm Ken Thompson. I'll be right back.
0: I've seen shame, the kind that comes from mistakes, the kind that won't go away. When I turned around, they were right there to remind me. I've seen regret, the kind that messes with your head. The failures and the can't forget. But standing here now, I'm thinking, God, it's behind me. Because I've seen nails, scarred hands reach out and wipe it all away. Yeah, Now I see grace. Hallelujah.
1: KT back, Live Saunders Pub. Little Micah Tyler there, and that is a contemporary Christian artist. Uh, Does a great job. Really like that song. There's a lot of great songs. And, you know, all about the election yesterday. You know, you may have heard me on the show. Steve Sanchez covered the election for six hours last night, 6 p.m. to midnight. And I was on the last couple hours there. Look, end of the day. You know, I just want the country to be united. And so whatever that takes, but also, for me, keeping God, family, country in that order, those are my priorities. Look, I'm a veteran. Veterans Day coming up on Friday. Looking forward to that. But I'm all about the red, white, and blue, man. I bleed red, white, and blue, so I'm all about this country. I hate to see divisiveness, you know. And so, even though I'm uh, more conservative than I was when I used to be a Democrat way back in the day, you know, is what it is. It doesn't mean that I'll always vote Republican, even though I'm registered Republican. If there's something that I see out there that doesn't make sense to me, then I'm going to call it out, and that's just who I am. Everybody has, you know, the reasons they vote the way they vote. Main thing is get out there and vote, and I really enjoyed the uh, turnout that I saw yesterday with the inclement weather here in the state of Nevada. Up in the Reno area in Washoe County, I mean, you had a snowstorm up there. It's crazy, but you still got a lot of people out to the polls. Same thing here. You had a lot of wind and rain and, I mean, out of nowhere and still pretty decent turnout in Clark County, and they still tabulate the votes. Now, that's one thing I don't get big time here in Nevada or in Arizona. How Florida can get all their ballots counted in one day, but yet, you know, we've got to go two, three, four days. It just makes no sense to me. But is what it is. Hopefully everything works out uh, and everything's at least fair and square. Whatever happens, happens. End of the day, you know, we're Americans. And when we're fighting against, you know, Russia or China or anything like that that could— come down the line north korea things like that you know what we're americans we've got to be united together all right that's my two cents there on the political front my good pal that i got to see today hadn't seen him in a long time he's the connecticut transplant he's over there at the beautiful westgate superbook he is a supervisor in risk management and he's one of my favorite guys to talk sports with art dice 21 follow him on twitter arthur de caesar art dice what's going on buddy how are things over at the superbook it's pretty busy when i was over there earlier today
3: yeah, KT, it's a pleasure to be here as always, and it was really great to see you today, my friend.
1: There you go, lots of stuff going on. What was your take on uh, Tennessee, Georgia? Because T- Georgia's defense, to me, was suffocating. Stetson Bennett never really gets the, uh, you know, the accolades or or the pats on the back that he he probably deserves. He just keeps winning games, time after time. He finds ways to win games. Look, the defense pretty good, running game okay, but he makes things happen too. And that's what I did not see from Hendon Hooker. I talked to Mark Lawrence about it. Never saw the guy improvise. Never saw him get outside the pocket and make things happen. He did that at home in Knoxville against Alabama, but he did not do it against Georgia. And Georgia's defense, there's no question in my mind that they're a better defense than Alabama, although Bama was predicted to be one of the best defenses maybe of all times coming into the season. Uh, your take, though, overall, on Georgia, Tennessee, and the way that the committee set things up to where they had Tennessee number one, they only fall back to five, which still leaves the possibility of two SEC teams, Georgia and Tennessee, both getting in if it were to pan out that way.
3: Yeah, you know, KT, when we had talked last week about that game, you know, I had told you the look-ahead line, game of the year line on Georgia was minus 15.5, and and then it was 8 basically closed eight and a half, nine. So, you know, you were going to be getting a discount on Georgia. That was a really tough spot for Tennessee. Listen, they beat Alabama, but they beat them in Knoxville. They had to go on the road in between the hedges and play that Georgia team that probably was thinking this team's the number one team in the country. No, no, no. Hold on. We're still the best team. We're the defending champs. You know, no one on that Tennessee staff, none of the players had been in that type of spot. You know, I don't care what they did against Alabama. Like I said, going on the road, now with the target on your back as the number one team in the country, Georgia was prepared for it. They looked so much better than Tennessee. But, like you said, Tennessee doesn't fall that far. And I think the committee wants to. It won't be Alabama this year, but they want to try their best to get two SEC teams in there. And if that ends up being Georgia and Tennessee, so be it. So... Yeah, I think it's interesting. Obviously, TCU sitting at four. They probably needed to be four. They're not the fourth-best team in the country, but it's just the way it is shaken out right now, and they're going to be sitting there at four. So, you know, still a lot to decide because a lot of people have to play each other, and we'll see what ends up happening here.
1: Cal goes for two, gets it, only trails USC by six. SC gets the, uh, uh, the late kick, and a lot of people didn't see that, and SC holds on, wins 41-35, Uh, don't come close to covering the 21 and a half I took Cal on the points, no Mario Williams no Jordan Addison, I mean those two guys have been banged up and I know Lincoln Riley being cautious as far as whether or not to get those guys back in the lineup probably didn't think they, they needed them against Cal and they won't need them Friday against Colorado, USC a big 34 point favorite there at the Westgate Superbook but the other LA team that's still hoping they get a shot in the playoff and they'll have their opportunity to take out SC next week and that is UCLA, UCLA's at home. They're minus 19 and a half against Arizona. That is a lot of points to give uh, this this team, the Wildcats, that can score points themselves as long as weather cooperates and I don't think there'll be a problem in Pasadena this week. Your take, that's a lot of points for UCLA to give Arizona. I know the total 77 and a half. Look, I could see UCLA winning somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 37, uh, but Arizona may be getting that cover. What's your take on this one?
3: It is a lot of points, KT, but just look at Arizona. I know they're 3-6, and six, but they're 3-6, and six and look at the wins. I mean, week one, San Diego State, it looked like a good win at the time, but San Diego State's no good, North Dakota State, and they beat Colorado. So, I mean, their wins just aren't good. It's not a good football team. UCLA, obviously the one loss at Oregon, which is looking better and better by the day. I'm with you. The total is crazy how high it is. I mean, when a total's that high, it, it makes me want to play the under just because. Um but I could see UCLA winning the game by three touchdowns. I would lay the points.
1: Oh, you would? Okay. I'll look at Arizona there, plus the points. So we'll bang heads on that one. Let's move on down. Uh, Alabama, do they lose their third game of the year? I mean, this is just crazy. I mean, I did have LSU last week, and I was glad that Jaden Daniels was able to play the way that I had seen him play in a couple other games. Now, I didn't play a great game against Tennessee at home. Uh, didn't play... You know, an outstanding game in the opener against Florida State on Labor Day, but he has really settled in and he mixes it up, mixes it up really nice. And uh, you know, the way they scored on that first play in overtime after giving up the seven, you knew based on the Labor Day game where they're like, oh, you should have gone for two instead of kicking the extra point, which the kid misses. Uh, He's like, all right, Brian Kelly's like, all right, here we go. We're going for two then. And so I thought a good move there, and it was a perfect pass. I mean, in college, if you go down, doesn't matter if you're not touched, that's it. That pass had to be good enough to let the player fall into the end zone without going down prior to. It worked out. They got the win. Man, that is uh, that is a big-time game. What about Bama and Mississippi now? Lane Kiffin's guy is going to try and hand the Crimson Tide their third loss. And Ole Miss at home, plus 12, 64-and-a-half. I don't think their defense is great, but I think their, their offense is good enough to put points up on Bama. I'm not sold on Bama, especially on the road. You lose... 20, I mean, you win a game 20-19 to 19 against Texas. I mean, then you would barely escape against Texas A&M, who's, you know, banged up, and they're in Tuscaloosa in a revenge game for you. So I, I don't want to lay double digits with this Alabama team when they're playing a quality opponent. You said it, KT, and nobody else wants to either. This game has seen limited action. Nobody wants to
3: lay the points with Alabama. But at the same time, people don't even want to take the points with old Miss. I think maybe the play is what you said. Both teams will go up and down the field. Maybe over 64-and-a-half is the move. Um, You said Alabama could have lost to both Texas teams. They have two losses. They could easily have three or four. Uh, The thing is, Saban has been good against his assistants. He's good against Kiffin. Obviously, Alabama is way better than Ole Miss. What's the motivation now for Alabama? I mean, highly unlikely they make the playoffs. I guess some real shenanigans would have to happen, but there's no way they're going to get in. So it's just been a game that has really not attracted a lot of bets so far.
1: There you go. And Ole Miss, they still have their sights on, you know, some type of miracle, getting into the, uh, you know, the the playoff there against, well, not the playoff, the uh, conference championship against Georgia, but they'd need some help uh, big time because LSU has been able to handle those head-to-head games, you know, outside of losing that game to Tennessee, which hurt. Their other loss was to Florida State, as we mentioned, so that was a non-conference game. Uh, Moving on down, Georgia's at Mississippi State. They're minus 16 and a half, and I'll tell you, look, it's not a great Mississippi State team. Uh, Bama beat them 30-6 to six that game in Tuscaloosa. But Mississippi State actually outgained them 293-290 to 290 in that game. There's something about Georgia when they went on the road to Missouri, and they were very fortunate to win that game. I had Missouri in-game plus uh, 23 points, and then I ended up taking them on the money line, and they nearly got there. So it's not that I think uh, Georgia's going to lose the game, because I don't. But I think the cowbells are going to be loud. And I think if Mississippi State can just get through the first quarter and be within one score, I think this game will be a lot closer than people think. I know Georgia was dominant, but remember, they were at home. They were all geeked up for Tennessee. This one is somewhat of an exhale there for Georgia, and if they don't watch it, hey, look, Rodgers can move that ball enough, Mississippi State can take care of business at home, look, Leach is going to be you know, playing with house money, he's going to pull some things, look for a fake punt or things like that that can happen, and Georgia Kirby Smart's going to have to be leery. Your take on this one, I'm going to take Mississippi State plus a, 16 and a half against that highly vaunted defense that didn't look so good when they were in Columbia, Missouri.
3: I don't disagree, KT, and this is the classic letdown spot. You know, Georgia, obviously, they play the biggest game of the week last week, biggest game of the year to date. They dominate. They look great. Now they got to go on the road. It's never easy to go on the road in the SEC. They proved that earlier in the year against a really bad Missouri team. Obviously, Mississippi State is a lot better. I'm with you. I think 16 and a half is too many. I think Georgia will just do everything they can to get out of there with, you know, a 7-14 to 14 point type of win and just take care of business. So, yeah, it's one of those two. Another game, though, it's really not attracting that many bets. But, you know, I, I think it's because of the high point total and people don't know what to make of, you know, what Georgia will be kind of like the mindset. Is it a letdown or is this team that just steamrolls through? But I would take the point. All
1: right, so let's jump over to the NFL. Miami's got a big game at home against Cleveland. And, again, the Dolphins getting Chubb. Getting Wilson, two big time moves on both sides of the ball for Miami. They sit at six and three. This Dolphin team's dangerous. I'm glad I did play their win total over. Now look, I didn't play as much as I did on the Raiders over there eight and a half. So I'm probably going to take it in the shorts uh, at the end of the day. But I like my over eight and a half and over nine tickets on Miami. Your take on this one with the Dolphins at home against a Cleveland team that comes off a bye right now. Miami minus three and a half, 48.5. Tricky spot there for the Dolphins against a good solid running game of Cleveland and we know Nick Chubb can pick him up, put him down. Hunt's pretty good as well. What's your take?
3: Yeah, definitely. A team coming off a bye, a team that can run the ball, a team that can get after the pass rusher a little bit. Obviously Miami is a really good team. They're laying the three and a half. You know, sharp people will be happy to take the Browns with the three and a half because it's over the key number. Public will be on Miami. They'll be in plenty of money line things. You know, I almost kind of too look at the under. I know Miami's high powered on offense, but I think that total sitting at 48 and a half. It's a little high. I think I would actually lean towards the under there and I would actually probably lean taking the points. I also think Cleveland is a really good teaser leg.
1: Eagles look to stay unblemished, look to go to 9-0. Monday night, they're at home. They're minus 11 against a divisional opponent. They struggled for a little bit in Houston, found a way to get it done, keep their record unblemished, but did not get the cover there, laying double digits. Again, divisional opponents, look, they're not going to be intimidated. Washington, uh, Heineke's a a quarterback that at least can move the team, and, and, uh, you know, I think they feel confident that they're going to be able to score some points, but Philly, Boy, I'll tell you what, that team's explosive and, and the defense pretty darn good. What about those Eagles? Minus 11, 44 the total against the Commanders at home on Monday night.
3: Yeah, the Eagles have been a very popular side all year. No, This week is no different despite the big number. It was 10. It's now 11. But I think Washington is someone that you kind of have to keep your eye on. They've obviously been a lot better since they went away from Wentz and they went to Heineke. But listen, we know how good the Eagles are. They're undefeated. They're right now the best team in the league. You know, Buffalo's got the quarterback injury, and they lost last week. So the Eagles are now the best team in the league. But I'm with you. I think it's too many points in a divisional game. Now I'm getting 11. I think somehow, some way, the commanders find a way to keep it close. They don't win the game, but they stay within the number.
1: All right, last one I'll throw at you. How about Cowboys-Packers? Again, looking at Aaron Rodgers potentially losing six in a row, catching five at Lambeau, 43-year total.
3: Man, nobody wants to back the Packers right now. Dallas always takes money. They're America's team. And when they're good, they definitely take money. Green Bay has been a complete fade these last couple of weeks. That's no different this week. Public and Sharps are happy to take the Cowboys. We'll be looking to write some money back on Green Bay, even though Rodgers, not a lot of times, is a home dog. This is a rare spot for him. Dallas' defense is too good. I would lay the points with the Cowboys.
1: At Art Dice 21, got 30 seconds. Let everybody know how they can take advantage if they're opening an account up and getting that free that app over there at the Westgate Super Bowl.
3: Yeah, this is the time, KT. You know, bet 100, get 100. It's basically a 300 dollars roll. That's for brand-new app users. And if anyone ever needs any help getting that set up, you come down, you ask for Arthur Caesar at the Westgate Sportsbook, and I'll be more than happy to help.
1: Outstanding Hour number one in the books at Art Dice 21. We are halfway home. Chuck Hayes joins me. Hour number two. KT live at Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. Come on down and see me. You're listening to SportsX Radio on 101.5 FM, 720 AM, KDWN. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back from halftime. It's just after 9 o'clock in the big city. Time to continue America's favorite Las Vegas sports show, SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on.
2: Duh. Going to a party.
0: Day. For peace of mind, visit PDCenterLV.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. Leverers Union 872. The Builders of Allegiant Stadium and the Las Vegas Ballpark, home of the Aviators. Promodirect.com. Use K-10 for a discount on your promotion items ordered. Promodirect.com and by William Hill Racing Sportsbook, America's leading racing sportsbook. Visit williamhill.us. So get ready because
1: SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. Uh, it does. KT, hour number two, Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo, one of three in the uh, Vegas Valley to serve you. 8410 West Cheyenne, also on the west coast. That's the on the uh, west side, I should say. That's the original now in their 25th year. And then 80, uh, 8410 West Cheyenne, and then 8168 Las Vegas Boulevard South right there at Windmill. Uh, that's the one in between, if you're uh, on the boulevard over there, in between South Point and Mandalay Bay right there at Windmill. And uh, of course, 1750 North Buffalo, inside the Albertson Albertson Shopping Center, right here, also on the west side. So all three establishments, 24 hours, great food. Again, you want to get breakfast, four in the afternoon, you can do that. It's a great setup, especially for those of you in the industry uh, that work maybe graveyard or swing shift, and you know you're looking to get something good to eat, and you don't want to just get some bar food or you know some quick drive-through great places to go. All three Steiner's Pub locations and just a an incredible menu. Very diverse. Uh, you know, last week I had the New York steak with the mashed potatoes and asparagus, which was outstanding. Uh, great salad dressing. The homemade salad dressings, homemade soups are really, really top of the line. I mean, lamb chop appetizers started with that tonight. Then I had the, the burger and they have like three or four different Burgers, and you can customize your own burger, but the onion rings are outstanding. Homemade onion rings here as well and just really, really good. So I'm always kind of content when I come on air. That's why I get here early. I'm usually set up by about 6.15, 6.30, and uh, then wait until about 8.05 to jump on the air. And then Wednesdays, it's just a great time because you have Mark Lawrence right there, Playbook Sports. Then you go with Arthur DeCesar over there, Westgate Superbook. And then hour number two, I go about 45 minutes unplugged with my good pal Chuck Hayes. Chuck, of course, with Coach Harvey Hyde, part of the Trojan Report Saturdays, 9 o'clock p.m. right here on KDWN and SC with another game, only this one will be on Friday. So Chuck and and Coach Hyde will actually be able to focus in without having to worry about the actual game going on. Sometimes SC is playing a night game, and they've got to focus in there and uh, also do the show why they're focusing in on the game as it's happening. So it's a Friday night game at home at the Coliseum against Colorado. We'll keep an eye on that. A big spread with SC, minus 34 points in that game on the Westgate Superbook line. Uh, Let me get to the Richard Badge and Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard real quick, and then we'll bring Chuck Hayes on. Lots of games going on, and uh, two in the NBA right now. The Clippers have pulled away. That two-point halftime lead is open back up to 12, 542 to go, 101.89. 189 Clips lead the Lakers, 111-110. Kings lead the Cavs. Cavs dropping their last game, but they're 8-2 on the young season, 111-110, 422 to go. In the fourth quarter, that game's going to fly over the total. Now it's tied at 115 apiece with 3:10 to go, so the game has already gone over all totals. Let's go back to the top in the NBA. Denver 122-119, knock off the Pacers. Game does get up and over the total. Blazers win a road game in Charlotte. Go all the way, West Coast, East Coast, take care of business. Game stays well under the 221 and a half, but the Blazers actually went off a one and a half point favorite. It was the Mavs at the Magic, and how about Orlando winning at home, 94 to 87, taking care of business. They were eight dogs they win it by seven game staying well under the total raptors north of the border beat up on the rockets but only by seven they were laying 10 in that game so they do not cover game does get over the total by a point closing total is 224 game hits 225 116 109 nets you need a win in a bad way what do you do you invite the knicks to brooklyn my knicks getting crushed again i can't even call them my knicks anymore i'll root for them but my gosh that team Absolutely disappointing year in, year out. Now, they're only 5-6. and six. Nets do get to 5-7 and seven with the win in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. 112-85. to 85, Blowout City, minus 3.5 for Brooklyn, and the Nets take care of business easily. Game staying well under the total of 220. Celtics pound the Pistons 128-116. or I'm sorry, 128-112. to 112. They win by 16, which is key because they were laying 11, got bet up to 13, so you get that covered. Game flies over the total. Jazz win in Atlanta, 125-119. Made sense. The Hawks COMING OFF dealing Milwaukee, their first loss in their last game, 125-119. This game also getting up and over the total And the Hawks' four-point favorites. Jazz, nice little money line play there. Grizzlies on the road, come back from a deficit and beat San Antonio, 124-122. Very entertaining game there. San Antonio catching five and a half at home, though, does get the cover as they lose it by just two, 124-122 in a game that also gets over the total. Suns win at Minnesota, 129-117, wire-to-wire win. They were actually two-point dogs in the game took care of business by 12 in a game that flies over the 224. And Milwaukee comes back and knocks off OKC 136-132. I would think that game probably went overtime, and uh, Milwaukee wins it by four. They were actually catching one in this game, so it might have been uh, somebody out of the lineup there for the Bucks to be a dog. Milwaukee was in danger of dropping two straight. As I said, they had lost to Atlanta in their last game. That was their first loss of the year. They now go to 10 and one. Pelicans 115-111. They win in Chicago, laying two and a half. They win it in the windy win, win it in the windy city by four, and uh, game stays under the total 229 and a half which was actually bit up to 232. So we'll keep an eye on those other two games. Again, Cavs and Kings tied at 115, 254 to go fourth quarter. Clips now 103-95 lead the Lakers by 8 with 415 to go in the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, on the ice, just a few games. One game going now tied at one after two. Minnesota at Anaheim. Other three games are final. Florida shutout. Carolina 3-0 at home. Pittsburgh 4-1. They win at Washington and 5-2. Montreal skates past Vancouver. The uh, Canadians were actually a plus 140 in that home win. Meanwhile, College Hardwood, not a ton of games, but a couple interesting games. Wright State in double OT. They lose to Davidson 102 to 97 as Steph Curry's alma mater. The Wildcats take care of business. McKillop, I believe, is still coaching there. Uh, unbelievable. Drake rolled over IUPUI 80 to 48. How about a good one here? South Dakota State, they lost a tough overtime game at Akron the other night. They come right back two days later at Boise State, and they beat Leon Rice's Broncos 68-66. Nice game there. Game still stays under the total, but nip and tuck in that one. Battle in Jersey, Seton Hall no problem with Monmouth, 79-52. to Easy cover, the 19 and a half. LSU struggled at home, 74-63, beat UMKC. They win it by 11, but they were laying 23. Do not cover that game. Uh, Youngstown State 90-72 to over Tennessee Martin. A win and a cover there. And then on the extra board, one game still going. Portland taking care of business against the Rattlers of Florida A&M, 66, to make it 67-37, up by 30 big ones with 5.52 to go. They're laying 23.5, so not out of the woods, but congratulations to Coach Lav, Steve Lavin, a good friend, and uh, really uh, great friends with my good buddy Dave Denine, who listens to SportsX Radio every night. He's up in the Reno area. Uh, USD, San Diego, the Toreros take care of business against Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast just beat their old coach, Andy Enfield, in their opener as they won at USC. Turn around, they go to the Slim Jim, uh, the Jenny Craig Pavilion down there in San Diego, and it's 79-73. San Diego gets the win and a cover of that 4.5. The opening number was 6.5, got bet down, so the money actually went the wrong way in that game. And how about this shocker? Bellarmine goes into Louisville and beats the Cardinals 67-66, plus 13 and a half, got bet down to 7.5, and, and they actually win it outright. They take care of business. South Dakota, the Coyotes beat Lipscomb 85-77, a win and a cover, and Marist over American 73-69. A look at the Richard Badge and Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard. I did give you those three in scores earlier, but if you missed them, Northern Illinois 24-21 one at Western Michigan. Game stays under the total. 31-27 Central Mitch to Chippewas. A big comeback against Buffalo, and they knock off the Bulls by four. 31-27 in a game that gets over the total. And then Kent State dominating as the Golden Flashes roll over the Falcons of Bowling Green 40-6. to And that is a complete look now at the Richard Badge and Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard. Without further ado, I bring in my good pal, Mr. Chuck Hayes. I'll tell you what, Chuck, sometimes it gets crazy with all the scores, and we're not even, you know, going on college basketball i mean i wasn't there on monday to do the show because uh, uh mark hoke and fish Fain do a great job on the monday sports edition SportsX radio uh, the monday night edition and uh man that would have been like it would have taken a whole hour just to get through the college basketball scores but how is chuck hayes doing and uh more importantly how, how's coach harvey hyden and uh the usc trojan report going right here on kdwn on saturdays
4: well thanks so much ken uh, great update it makes me uh Always wonder about uh, the converging of all the sports at one time, and uh, it's just a, a, a bounty, you know. When we were younger, growing up, uh, we get some scores in the paper the next day, or we track out our favorite basketball team or football team, and we always knew when they were going to play. But now you got to check the schedule with that Mac, and during the midweek, it's always great for those kids. And yeah, I'll be at the Coliseum on um, on Friday night, at six thirty. I call this a Larry Scott special. There's no traffic in L.A. at 6.30. Try to get to the Coliseum. Not able to tailgate on campus. You really wonder what's going on with that. But Colorado's going to limp in to L.A. and meet the Trojans. And, you know, right now with USC uh, ranked eighth in the country, uh, there's a lot of optimism. Uh, we talk about it every Saturday night at, at 9 o'clock and, and try to give insight as to what's going on and really the challenges with this team because – Offensively, Caleb Williams is a magician. Uh, they've replaced receivers because of injuries, and Michael Jackson from Las Vegas has stepped up and really done a great job for a young player. They have to play some defense. The next two weeks after Colorado, UCLA and Notre Dame are going to be tests, and you hate to see the whole season rolling along at 8-1 and one with this. The one-point loss uh, to, to Utah uh, come to a, a, a startling stop because, remember now, UCLA hammered them in the Coliseum last year, and Chick, Chip Kelly and the Bruins have a long memory, and we don't know if the game's going to be played at 5 p.m. in the Rose Bowl or 7.30, but UCLA can run the ball, and SC has not shown they can stop anybody doing anything. Uh, Bill Musgrave calling the plays for Cal last week when Justin Wilcox and the, uh, and the Bears came down. They put up you know, over 35 points. I mean, that's just unbelievable to know that at this time of the year, USC could not play defense against Cal.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, and and banged up on both sides of the ball. You talk about Mario Williams and Jordan Addison being out on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Gentry's been playing hurt. Uh, Go forth. I mean, those guys are banged up again this week. It's it's tough. I mean, you've got to make sure that you know you've got some depth on the defensive side of the ball and that's been a problem for southern cal so they go into a bunch of these games they know they have a uh, heisman front runner in caleb williams and one thing i like about caleb williams is something that i did not like about hendon hooker last week when he went to georgia now look i know georgia's defense is probably the most formidable defense in the country, there's no question. But you still have to do things to try and keep the opposing defense off balance, especially when you don't have time in the pocket. And I talked about that earlier uh, as far as uh, with my two guests in the first hour, that I never saw Hendon Hooker make any adjustments, never use his legs to get outside the pocket. And that just drives me crazy. And you would think somebody like Josh Heupel, who's you know a former quarterback, uh, an offensive guru, so to speak, at Central Florida, now taking over at Tennessee that you would do something to get Hooker outside the pocket i get it it's inclement it's raining you know it's it's you know you know but both teams are playing with the same conditions you've got to take advantage of your strengths and it used to drive me nuts when i saw Michael Vick you know they're trying to turn him into a pocket passer. Look, I know you can throw the ball. I know you can throw it a mile. That's all well and good. But for you to be the complete dynamic quarterback that you need to be, you've got to use your legs as well. And that's what irks me about Derek Carr because he never does it unless he's forced out of the pocket. I never see him, you know, take the initiative to run. I want to see somebody that's athletic, a quarterback-wise, that if things aren't going well and your pocket's not holding up the way you expect it to, that you do something different. And I did not see the adjustments by Tennessee. Now with USC with Caleb Williams, he improvises. And he probably improvises better than any player that I've seen in the country. And that includes Bryce Young. That includes, you know, some of the other quality candidates that are going to be up there in the running for the Heisman. And that's that's what I like about Caleb Williams. He He's going to make things happen. Now Sometimes he gets a little cute, especially when he gets over to the sidelines. And he better be careful because someone's going to ring his bell when he tries to tiptoe. I think you and I talked about that about three weeks ago when he gets in and tries to take that extra yard. He pretends like he's going out of bounds. and he goes, ah. And I'll take two more yards real quick with the two steps. Somebody's gonna tattoo him, and probably not gonna get called for a late shot, or even if they do, their coach is gonna go, all right, that's okay. I'll give you, I'll take the fifteen yards just to, you know, get in the kid's head a little bit. What's your take on Caleb Williams? Number one, his chance to get the Heisman Trophy, because I know you said SC well, you know, Lincoln Riley probably pushing for that, but he put up another three sixty, four touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, the kid has been outstanding when you look at the statistics and like you mentioned, with the SC defense being as porous as it is, he's going to have to put up big numbers, especially to beat UCLA, Notre Dame, and potentially Oregon if they meet them in the playoff.
4: Yeah, and Ken, I know what you're saying in regards to A lot of the problem with the Heisman uh, deal is that a lot of people have not seen him. Uh, they played a couple late games, and he'll have a chance to showcase uh, tomorrow night, or actually uh, Friday night, Against CU because uh, it'll be the only show in town that people nationally will want to see a ranked team, and they'll, and they'll really push that that, set, that part of the part of the deal. But he has to have big games against UCLA and Notre Dame, and it's going to be where they're going to come in, and it's going to be one game in the Rose Bowl. They'll probably be underdogs. It'll be the first time all year that we see that, uh, and then also the um, uh, the Notre Dame game probably be more even. Depending on uh, on the injuries and what's going on, yeah, we expect Addison Williams to be coming back pretty soon. Right now, I would say this against uh, CU, they will not need to use them and look for Brendan Rice to have a big night on uh, Friday. He's a guy that transferred out of Colorado. There'll be a very big emotional part of that and. He really hasn't had the production that a lot of other players have. He's been solid, but he hasn't been spectacular. So Caleb has been spinning it around. Travis Dye is the guy that makes it go for them when they need uh, a conversion. Uh, he's been running the ball a little bit more. They got under center down by the goal line, and he just he's just been making plays. But defensively, they have to find some answers, some stops because it's just you cannot play uh, catch up or in a, in a trading scores. Uh, this late in the year. against CU, not a problem. They're going to roll on them. But uh, really, Ken, the the two big tests are coming up.
1: Okay, so UCLA, they've got a home game against Arizona. Now, Arizona's dropped a bunch in a row, but they've put up points in most of those games. Got held to 20 points against Utah. Still moved the ball, but just couldn't get it in the uh, end zone enough times to hang with the Utes. We know the Bruins beat the Utes at home in Pasadena. But at the end of the day, this is an Arizona team that can still, you know, score. And, uh, you know, when we look at, you know, some of the games, you know, they put up 37 on Southern Cal. Uh, they put up 39 at Washington, lost 49-39. So we know the team's capable of scoring. UCLA better not take them lightly. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, Arizona's got the the horses to to beat UCLA, but they can score. And Charbonnet's, you know, he's banged up. He missed last game. He's questionable for this game with that calf injury. And I don't know if uh, Chip Kelly rushes him back in this one. What's your take on UCLA? as far as maybe not the outright game uh, to win or lose but what about all those points they're laying to arizona because i think that's a boatload of points to give a team that can score we know delora is a very solid quarterback and i just you know wanted to get your take there because arizona again a team that put up 39 in seattle and that impressed me there only lost the game 49 39 and again the bruins laying you know a boatload of points right now and the line as i look is 19 and a half total 77 and a half from pasadena
4: Well, obviously the the bookmakers think there's going to be a scoring contest. And, you know, Jet Fish has really had a uh, season here to really do what he wants to do. And they have a lot of players from Southern California. They've got a lot of coaches on their staff. Uh, Johnny Nansen used to be uh, at SC and also UCLA. And then, of course, uh, Jet hired Dwayne Walker, uh, the former defensive coordinator at UCLA. And you've got uh, – Pete Carroll's son Brennan, who's uh, the offensive line coach. So, you got a lot of Pac 12 guys, and they believe in what they do offensively. Now, maybe they don't stop people. And, you know, again, it's a classic, I guess, what we call a trap game because you know that UCLA is looking ahead to play SC. They want them, there's no doubt. They look at the rankings and they see they're ranked 12th and they beat Utah, they know that that's uh, that's not so cool because SC lost to Utah. So whoever's watching the uh, scoreboard and how that works in regards to the poll uh, missed that one outright. So you got a dangerous situation. UCLA needs to put Arizona away early and not let them hang around. Uh, you know, ASU got into a scoring contest with them, and, uh, you know, they, they had to – play their best offense and really probably go a lot harder in the desert than they wanted to. They wanted to put that away early. But, again, ASU did not stop. And I believe that this is going to be the story behind Arizona because Fish has nothing to lose. This this whole season has been an opportunity for him to mold his football team and create some belief that, hey, guys, we may not win this, but what we're going to do is we're going to be competitive. We're going to play our tails off. And we're going to get what they say is they're going to get some reps on film because we are going to be a better football game, f- better football team in a, in a year from now.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how these two games shake out uh, as far as the points spread. Again, SC laying a boatload of points. UCLA laying a bundle as well to a team that can move the ball in Arizona. Uh, when you look at UCLA's schedule uh, with Arizona, then SC, and then they close at Cal, And then you look at SC's, uh, you know, schedule, of course, the Friday night game at Colorado. The good thing for them is they have an extra day to prepare for that game at UCLA. And then they get Notre Dame at home. And we know Notre Dame, they've been, you know, a team that's played really well in big games. We saw the game against Clemson last week. And we know they opened with Ohio State. They didn't win that game. But, you know, that was a game that they they hung in, and a lot of people thought they were going to get blown out. So even though they've lost some quality players, including their uh, starting quarterback, Buckner, early on in the year, they still have uh, come to play and, you know, Whether it's Drew Pine or whoever it is, uh, you know, they're still showing that they're capable in the trenches of hanging and potentially knocking off USC. But USC's got to have that mentality, the one game at a time, cliche, we hear it all the time. But UCLA, the same. They can't take Arizona for granted. You can't look ahead. What's your take as far as when you look at those last three games for either team? Do you feel the only chance for UCLA to slip up would be against SC? Or do they exhale uh, after beating Arizona and SC and uh, potentially have a tough game in Berkeley? Or SC, do they take care of business against Colorado? Can they win and get some redemption from getting beat down by the Bruins at the Coliseum last year? And then can USC, if they do get that win, then get it? together and refocus to take out a yearly rival in Notre Dame. Ken, if their defense
4: played better, I would have a lot more confidence going into UCLA and Notre Dame, but they, they aren't. They're not, they're not going to be able to change that quick. They're not going to get healthy right away. And again, it's going to be one of those things where every year when FC was dominant, they had great defenses. That's always been the case, whether it was Pete Carroll or John Robinson or John McKay or, Even back in the days of Larry Smith and Ted Tolner, they all had great defensive players. I mean, the linebackers and the safeties and uh, the D-line that they had, this team is thin. Uh, Tui Tui Palutu is really carrying it on his shoulders, and he's lining up five, six six different places during the game. They've got him basically working as a rover now, uh, changing defensive fronts up, and they do get turnovers. That's one thing. They play hard. And Coach High talks about this a lot. And When you listen to our show on Saturday night, you'll hear him talk about why it is that they're successful in turnovers because they compete, they hit hard. But a lot of times they're not in good positions. And as he details, they play a lot of people in the secondary. And when you talk to DBs that are playing in nickel or dime coverages, you like the same group of people. At SC, there's a change in a turnover. Uh, a lot of it because of injuries, a lot of it because the player's getting healthy, that you have new people emerging. Uh, but I'd like to see them get a little bit more uh, basic on defense and blitz a little bit more and play coverage. And uh, because ultimately right now they've just been getting beat every way they turn. So you got to go back to your basics. And, again, you know that UCLA can run the ball. SC can't stop the run. You know Notre Dame can run the ball. SC can't stop the run. The one thing for UCLA – Emotionally, if they lay it all out against SC and then have to go to Cal and think that Cal will be a walkover, Cal's no walkover. They showed that in the Coliseum on Saturday night.
1: Latu, eight sacks, leads that defense uh, as far as pressuring the opposing quarterback. They've got 22 sacks. They've only given up 11. Turnover-wise, the Bruins plus four. When you look at USC, that's been their bread and butter. Uh, You know, it started with the opening game against Rice, and it's continued – They've uh, taken the ball away 18 times. They've only given it up uh, one interception and one fumble, so two. So they're plus 16 in that department. What about USC as far as, you know, getting enough pressure on the opposing quarterback? It's something they've got to do. We know Tui Peloto, you know, nine sacks on the year, so he's having a stellar year. They have 29. They've given up 16, so they're a plus 13 in that department, net two better than UCLA. Uh, what are we looking at there as far as getting pressure on the opposing quarterback for both the Bruins and the Trojans?
4: What I know, Chip Kelly in the offense he runs with DTR, a young man out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, is that he's grown and matured, and he thinks he should be in that Heisman candidate race. Uh, they are they're angry. They don't like playing on Saturday nights at 7:30. They don't like being put. Uh, in the corner, if you will. Uh, and he has a lot to uh, prove. He's been there for five years. Caleb Williams walks into L.A. and now he's the king? No. Last time I checked, uh, DTR and the Bruins, uh, are uh, they have the victory bell from last year, and it's painted uh, powder blue. So uh, this is a game, a rivalry game. Uh, Jordan Addison hasn't played in this game. Uh, Caleb Williams hasn't played in this game. Travis Dye played for Oregon. Uh, So there's a lot of guys that have more than the Cardinal goal when you get against UCLA. I've been going to this game, Ken, since 1980, and let me tell you, you never know what you're going to get when when you get there. Think about John Barnes. He was a kid that needed a student ID to get into the last UCLA SC game before every Bruin quarterback got hurt the next year, and he ended up winning, beating the Trojans 38-37, a guy that was a walk-on. J.C. player, uh, even visited us at Long Beach State and wanted to play, but we didn't have a place for him. He went to UCLA and hung around the scout team and ended up beating SC. I mean, you never know. How about a guy named Norman Dow? If you're really a hardcore SC UCLA fan, you know that Gary Beeman broke his ankle. The great one, the Heisman Trophy winner, and an unknown walk-on backup named Norman Dow beat the Trojans and what was the city championship in the Coliseum then?
1: Yeah, what was the year when I remember? Cause I stayed up late. The game started at eight o'clock Pacific time, I'm pretty sure. So my my dad and my stepmom were out, so naturally I'm in my parents' rooms. My sisters grabbed the TV in the living room watching some stupid beauty pageant or something and i go in there and i'm watching usc ucla late night sam dickerson sliding in the rain in the back of the end zone or something i i was a kid i just remember that and trojans won that game i don't know it was probably somewhere around 1971 or somewhere like that
4: i think it was 1969 with sam dickerson uh that was the one where you know if they had replay today the bruins fans say hey he didn't get there and uh, he was the hero of the 69 game when uh, he got a 32 yard touchdown pass with a great memory, Ken, with a minute 32 to play. And uh, that was when, uh, you know, it was it. I mean, that, when we saw those games, we knew there was a reason we wanted to be on the West Coast. Jimmy Jones out of uh, Pennsylvania uh, was the starting quarterback, and uh, he made that great throw. In. And this is the thing about this the tradition. And, and, and we look at, we look at, At Ohio State and Michigan, and we look at LSU and Alabama. You know, when we were younger, those were games that we would definitely see Oklahoma, Nebraska, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, Florida State, uh, Yale, Harvard. Those were huge games, and they have such an imprint on our mind because, first of all, you had the voice of a Keith Jackson or a Chris Schenkel uh, drawing everyone's attention in it, and you really learned about the college game because these players were basically mysteries. They were They were people that you might see on a magazine cover but never get to see now. We can see the Mac on Tuesday and Wednesday, and a lot of people say, well, there's overexposure. I think it's just tremendous because if you love college football, I think television sports does a great job bringing it
1: to everyone. He's my good pal Chuck Hayes, and you can catch him on Twitter at all capitals now, C-A-H Ironman, the number seven. And, you know, Chuck, I'll tell you what, I remember, you know, vividly, uh, you know, just memory-wise, and sometimes, you know, when you get older, you do remember some stuff way back in yesteryear a lot clearer than you do from yesterday, right? So, thinking back to when my dad, who was a big Buckeyes fan because he had lived in Columbus for like nine, ten years, and you know, he, Woody Hayes was the guy, and just you know, all I heard about was Buckeye football. Well, we were in the barber shop in Nutley, New Jersey. And uh, my dad was gloating because Ohio State had beat Michigan in that noon kickoff game there uh, from Columbus, and so he's all happy. And I remember the uh, the everybody there in the barber shop, and there's always a gathering on Saturdays uh, with the guys, the old men getting their hair cut and hanging out and watching football, the little black and white TV that they had in there, and uh, just talking crap. And when they put me up in the booster seat, I want to say it was, uh, you know, probably you know late 60s, so probably around 68. And uh, there I was in the booster seat, and I just remember this white horse coming out and this guy with a sword and and these gorgeous women in these white sweaters and it's the Coliseum with the flame burning and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's my team. And I never wavered from rooting for SC football. Now, when I moved out to the West Coast and I hung out with a lot of my buddies, you know, on the beach, they're like, you know, if you'd have grown up out here, you'd have been a Bruins fan because you're not – you're not just you're just not a, a snobby type guy kt you're you're more of a ucla guy you could have been you're more of that beach bum type ucla guy and i was like you know it is but i, I mean it was so in embedded in me that I, I've always been that SC guy. And I ended up, you know, getting engaged in front of Tommy Trojan statue and stuff. And, and uh, you know, so I have so many memories. And, of course, you know, the, the classic uh, latest memory, you know, from years ago was when UNLV, of course, living here in Vegas, opened up at the Coliseum. And so my daughter, Kiara, who literally has been going to USC football since she's, you know, three and a half, four years old. Every year, my buddy Mike Marlott would give me the tickets for one or two games. And he had third row seats on the visitor side, but still with all these USC faithful that have been there for years. And so I got to know everybody in the seats around me. So Lexington Thomas, and I'll never forget because I took UNLV. They were plus like 26 and a half. And I think it dropped down to maybe 23 and a half. But I figured, you know what, SC, they're going to beat them. But at the end of the day, you know, Tony Sanchez had a decent squad, uh, speaking of Bishop Gorman, and, and and I said, you know what, they, they're going to score some points, and they'll probably hang in, inside that number. And so there we are, Chuck. We're in the third row, and all of a sudden Lexington Thomas busts one, and it's in the third quarter. And it's like a, you know, SC's only up by like nine at the time, or maybe, maybe even seven or eight. And uh, Lexington Thomas gets the first down, and then he's in the clear. And I'm like just going, Oh my God, he's gonna take it to the house, right? And he gets across Field, and he, now he's at the forty. So all of a sudden Kiara, my daughter, stands up and she's like, Go. Go, go, And then, so he's in the, it's like probably around the 10, 12 yard line. He's going in, no one's near him. And all of a sudden she stops. She realizes what she's doing. And she reaches around, she looks down at me and she goes, I'm still in my seat. And I'm going like, what the heck? And all my friends, the SC guys that have seen little Kiara since she's four and a half. Now, now she's a teenager and she puts her arm on my shoulder and she goes, oh dad, I'm sorry. I still like USC a lot but I'm a Nevada girl, a Las Vegas girl, and I feel inclined that I should be rooting for UNLV. And it was just like, it was the classic, so it kind of brought me back to yesteryear to where I know my dad was an Ohio State fan, and I know for sure he probably wanted me to be following in his footsteps and rooting for the Buckeyes, but there was a reason that... I became an SC fan. And I think my dad appreciated the loyalty that I had. So you mentioned Keith Jackson. I remember they had that half-hour college football show, you know, and on the East Coast because there weren't a lot of West Coast games. And we'd get to see SC, you know, maybe twice a year, the Notre Dame game and, of course, the UCLA game. And maybe sometimes there'd be another late game sometime during the Pac-12 schedule or, well, Pac-8 back then, uh, you know, to where they may be on. And, uh, you know, so you waited for that little – 45 second clip of them on that college football show on Sunday mornings. With, uh, with Keith Jackson and uh, and McKay, I think, did. I, I can't remember. I think it was Keith Jackson. But it, uh, you just waited for that little clip. And I remember watching, you know, that's how I knew Ralphie the Buffalo. I remember they're in Boulder and, and they're, they're playing, and there it is, Ralphie the Buffalo running around and, and just crazy stuff, man, that you remember. Uh, but you know what? There's something about college football and tradition. And, 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 you know, so that I gave my daughter Kiara. I said, Kiara, you know what? I'm so proud of you because you stood up for what you felt In your bones at the time, even though, you know, dad wanted you to be that USC fan. And she is. She's still, you know, still to this day, she'll watch SC football all the time. But it was just that year UNLV was pretty pretty decent squad. And uh, she was there. And it was, you know, even though we were in L.A., all of a sudden she had that go go and i'm just like i'm sitting there going like w- w- what's going on here and and i, I my mouth is just rude because all my buddies are looking at me like what's wrong with your daughter man what the hell is she doing and, and it was just great so they all got a kick out of it too but you got to love that about college football it's what makes it such a great game
4: i think ken what you're talking about is the tradition and i grew up and my first memory of a, of a college football player that i really enjoyed watching play was the great one gary beeman and uh the great part about this business is that you you hang around enough and you go to different places and you get to meet the greatest people, whether it's uh, Gary Beeman or John Shara or uh, Matt Stevens or David Norrie or all the UCLA guys. In fact, I can say, you know, having worked at Sports Channel, one of my guys that I used to take care of working in PR was Bill Walton along with uh, Marcus Johnson. so I know a lot of Bruins, and they're great guys, and we love them all year long except for one day. And uh, there's a lot of respect. There's a lot of competition. There's brothers that have played against each other, the Farmer brothers, Dave Farmer and George Farmer. There's been nephews. There's been cousins. Uh, One of the things that one of my great friends at SC when I was an undergrad was Mosey Tutupu, the late Mosey Tutupu from Punahou High School in in Honolulu. Mm -hmm. And they lived uh, all together off-season uh, Mano to Yasusopo, uh, in an off-campus apartment off of Olympic, midway between SC and UCLA. And uh, they used to drive, back then uh, college students had summer jobs, especially football players, and a lot of them worked uh, driving beer trucks or beverage trucks. And uh, let's just say some uh, several cases of Heineken during the course of that summer uh, Found their way to their apartment, and they used to have an end of the summer party before training camp where every UCLA football and SC football player was there. And I'll tell you what, there's some great stories about that, but that's the city championship.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, I love it, man. That is just great stuff. Uh, Boy, I, I mean, we, you and I could just exchange stories forever. You know, both of us growing up on the East Coast, but falling in love with West Coast football. And the cool thing about being on the West Coast is that you go to bed and all the games are over. And, I mean, it's it's kind of cool. And you can still get to bed at a decent time. Now, if you're taking the Hawaii game, you're not getting to bed till after midnight. But, you know, on the East Coast, it's 3 in the morning, you know. So, I do enjoy, you know, that because I used to hate waking up and and even grabbing the Sunday paper and and grabbing the sports section from the Radley's mailbox, you know, next door across the street and slipping it in. I'd fold it up into a square and then slip it in my pocket, and I could hear Mr. Radley, God dang it, that kid, he gave me the paper, there's no sports page again. It's like finally figured it out. It was Thompson at least two days a week taking his sports page. But, uh, you know, I hate it when you opened up the uh, sports page and it had that little N in parentheses for like 19, And I was like, you know, I hated that guy. Gosh dang it, man. I just wanted to score. It's like and you get that night game. But that's the cool thing about being on the West Coast is all those games are over. So you're able to go to bed. And like you said, you know, the reporters and a lot of the people that do vote, whether it's for Heisman or even, uh, you know, first place votes for, you know, they, they don't, you know, get to see these players. They may be able to go back now much easier and and, and watch highlights and or, you know, tape the game and watch it back. Uh, But, you know, I always thought that the West Coast and and the coaches and the teams, they got kind of shafted. Uh, The Bruins, you mentioned the Bruins. I got to go back to just somebody I just wanted to give a shout out to. Uh, You know, I, I thought one of the most awesome coaches year in, year out for UCLA was Terry Donahue and I had a lot of respect for that man. He was just a special coach and uh, as much as I I love USC football, I always respected UCLA and I always felt like we were going to USC was going to lose when we played Terry Donahue. Just reflect on him as a head coach. Well, he was class. He was
4: um, a walk on at, uh, at UCLA, played defensive uh, nose tackle. He was from Notre Dame Sherman Oaks. And it's funny, um, two of his teammates, two of his best friends, I coached four at Glendale College. Jim Sartorius, who was the head coach, who played at, um, at uh, University of Washington, running back. And uh, John Secudo was a defensive coordinator. He went to Fresno State. And Terry Donnie, he was uh, one of their best friends. And uh, Coach Donnie, he was just pure class. I mean, that was the guy that epitomized uh, what a college coach was. I, I know that he didn't have that great a – experience with the 49ers and but as a as a college player and as a college coach he represented what UCLA was about and they had great players when you think a, a Troy Aikman transferring from Oklahoma and Jonathan Ogden and Freeman McNeil and uh, just uh, Jerry um, um, I'm thinking about the, the linebacker uh, a three-time All-American
1: Robinson Jerry, Robinson Jerry
4: Robinson Wally Henry and Freddie fastball Freddie Mitchell and uh just, you know, all the great Bruins that are Southern California legends. And, you know, you look at what they did. They had a national footprint recruiting also. Kenny Easley, probably one of the greatest safeties in, in the game. No uh, came question. Out of yep. Yep. They had a pipeline from D.C. They had a pipeline in Texas with Mel Farr. They used to have a lot of players come from different places to come to Westwood. And it was always competitive. And uh, they were, you know, classy and competitive. And there was a, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of hate between those programs, uh, but there was nothing like it in the Coliseum when it was half Cardinal and gold and half blue and gold. It was just, it's just the greatest spectacle because there's no other place. And they talk about Auburn and Alabama and Michigan, Ohio State. It's completely different. This is a different. This is the city championship of Los Angeles, and it means something. And uh, if you're a Bruin or a, or a Trojan, uh, you know where you stand all year long.
1: Yeah, and let me, uh, let's me let emphasize real quick, as far as this year's matchup, again, based on UCLA pummeling SC last year at the Coliseum, having the home game. But if both teams take care of business this week, and they should, uh, UCLA, again, a 19-and-a-half point favorite at home against Arizona. SC, a 34-point Friday night favorite at home against Colorado. They're going to both go in with one loss, and it is a – key game because if UCLA gets the win, more than likely if they close out with a win against Cal, they're going to play Oregon and get a chance to uh, avenge that loss on a neutral field here in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, losing that game at Autzen Stadium. And Oregon, of course, has that bad taste in their mouth getting pummeled by Utah last year in the uh, Pac-12 championship game. But SC, of course, if they can take care of business, you know, they uh, we'll have an opportunity to be here in Vegas. But if both those teams have one loss, talk to me about what was a Rose Bowl in Pasadena with, you know, a max of maybe 35,000 fans in any of the first three non conference UCLA games. How the atmosphere will change there in Pasadena for UCLA at home against Southern Cal?
4: It's already the drums are beating and everyone kind of knows where it's at and they've already. The SC people have, have looked, and they they don't like going to the Rose Bowl unless it's on New Year's Day. And so they'll still be, you know, rallying everyone up there to go, and the Bruins will be out because they're winning, and Chip will get them going. And I would not be surprised if uh, we might see a game day experience. I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't know where they're projected to be. But, you know, back in the day, this used to be the way it was. The, the, you know, the, the battle for the Heisman was on the line. The battle for the Pac-8 championship was on the line. A trip to the Rose Bowl, a chance to be number one. It was all those elements. Well, this is a, a top five. And, and let me say, when you look at the poll and you see the SEC with six and the Big Ten with four and the um, the Pac-12 uh, having what they have with five, uh, you know, West Coast football is back. And uh, Notre Dame, of course, is an independent. And let's not overlook Tulane in Central Florida, who, by the way, they teed up this weekend also. This is a big game for them. So the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, everyone's represented. So now it's up to the Pac-12 to take care of what they need to take care of And, yeah, it was too bad that Oregon stumbled against Georgia. But when you look at Georgia and how they handle Tennessee, that's why uh, Oregon is number six.
1: Yeah, so the uh, Ohio State-Michigan game is on the 26th. So I would think, for all intents and purposes, game day's got to be in L.A. if both USC and UCLA only have one loss, because that will be you know, for one of those two teams to get to that Pac-12 championship game. The only other game uh, that I saw that could – actually pose a threat would be Baylor in Waco at home against TCU and that would be based on TCU taking care of business this week in Austin against Texas and a lot of folks including myself think they're going to lose that game. What's your take on that game real quick? We got about you know five, six, seven minutes and stuff and I'll, I'll throw some uh, some NFL at you real quick but that was great just talking college football but what's your take uh, with Texas at home against TCU Texas team that you know nearly beat Alabama. That was a long time ago, and I think that's what uh, really exposed Alabama to where other teams around the country knew that Bama was vulnerable.
4: Well, again, the consistency of Texas and, and how they play. And, you know, right now when you look at the Longhorns, number 18 in the country is 6-3. and three. Uh, It's Big Bad Texas. It's a place that I really loved and, 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 and just rooted for the longest time before I was a a Trojan, and I really loved what the Texas Longhorns, the Coach Royal, did there. You know, TCU survived Gary Patterson leaving. And, oh, by the way, where is he? He's on the staff in Texas. So if anybody knows how to game plan what's going on, he's got his team, his players, he knows everything about because he recruited every one of those guys. So uh, to go in there and and be an underdog – in in Austin, for a team that's ranked number four in the country, kind of kind of surreal, isn't it? Can you know to to look at the the line of, of that seven seven and a half and know that that you're ranked fourth in the country? I, I mean, that's a great motivator for the Horn Frogs.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And we'll see how things pan out this week. Should be a lot of fun. Georgia, right now. Uh, that defense and until somebody beats them Stetson Bennett not flashy, but just knows how to win that kid's just one of those players that is uh, You know undaunted by just about anything that's thrown at him So we'll look forward to things winding down and of course uh, USC UCLA next week uh, We'll find out how things pan out, but both teams have to take care of business this week can't look ahead uh, real quick NFL wise uh, Rams Stafford banged up Uh, Chargers you know don't know when uh, Keenan Allen's going to be back but Mike Williams still on the shelf and you know the Chargers got a tough game in San Francisco and the Rams right now just treading water just trying to stay alive.
4: John Wolford is the backup he'll get the the refs Bryce Perkins is the uh, third team quarterback who's really a player that is under uh, a lot of uh, development by the Rams don't don't think that that they wouldn't be happy with uh, with him if uh, something was to happen. Uh, we wish um, Matthew Stafford the best. Uh, here's the number you look at: Cliff Kingsbury's one in seven against the Rams. I mean, that's just abysmal. Uh, I've got to really check out, and I, I hopefully, I'll get a chance to see this. HBO's Inside the Season with the Cardinals. Want to do that before game time to see. Exactly what's going on between Kyler Murray and uh, and Cliff, and uh, you know DeAndre Hopkins is as good as they get. Got to get more reps to him, and then you look at at Zach Ertz, a strong tight end, and J.J. Watt, who you know just brings it. and Buda Baker, uh, I'd say the Rams going to be in for an interesting battle if uh, they they can't play. Uh, they cannot run the football. Uh, last weekend, uh, you know, Daryl Henderson had 56 yards. That's the season high. Uh, they're relying on Cam Akers to come back. Uh, Cooper Cup's a little bit banged up. They got to, you know, their defense is going to have to step it up. And, uh, you know, their kicking game will, will Matt Gay, uh, have to get a little more attempts. He's only had 12 field goal attempts on the year. He's made 11 of 12 they got to really slow it down and and get to get to Murray. So this is an interesting one. And I can tell you right now that the fan base is a little bit agitated and they're not showing up. And I'm not saying that the place will be filled with Arizona Cardinal fans, because I don't think there's that many out there. There'll be a few, but uh, I would not be surprised if it's not as uh, well attended as it has been in the past. And Again when I say that it's no disrespect to the players they've just been really banged up their offensive line is hurt and they haven't been able to run the ball So that's a recipe for disaster when you're playing your backup quarterback.
1: No doubt about it. And we got about a minute and a half, but uh, Buda Baker banged up. See if he can go. He's got that uh, bum ankle. Kyler Murray also nursing the hamstring. And and Murphy, uh, questionable with a back injury. So, you know, nobody's feeling sorry for anybody because everybody's banged up this time of year. J.J. Watt, a knee injury. uh, But he will look like he'll go. These guys that are listed as questionable, if they're veterans normally, they're going to end up going. Uh, Chargers probably going to have trouble in San Francisco that Niner team uh, starting to reload and gear up, and if they can stay healthy, again, they're my team to beat in the West, even though Philadelphia's got that unblemished record, and then, uh, you know, the divisions, you kind of look at them, uh, you know, Buffalo right now, the elbow injury to Josh Allen, don't know if he'll get a week off, so uh, real quick, as far as the Chargers in San Francisco in about 40 seconds, do they have a chance without Mike Williams there?
4: You know, Eckler has been the key, but again, uh, you know they're going to go against McCaffrey, and their defense has been banged up, and you look at what he does, he's a difference maker. No Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer's not a bad player, DeAndre Carter's pretty good, Everett's good, uh, their defense played better last week. Uh, I'm not saying Atlanta was world beaters, but it came down to making a field goal, so the Niners, I think, uh, if they can get uh, that uh, Debo Samuel guy in association with Christian McCaffrey, with George Kittle, I think I might go play quarterback in San Francisco.
1: There you go. All right, hey, uh, Raiders letting Abram go. So only Josh Jacobs left from those first-round picks from John Gruden. And Mike Mayock back in the day. That'll do it for us here on a Wednesday night. Chuck Hayes will do it again next Wednesday, man. I love talking football with you, man. Have a great week. SC should take care of business Friday. And then we'll gear up for that SC-UCLA game next week from Pasadena. Chuck, have a great week, buddy.
4: Thanks so much. Join us on Saturday night, 9 o'clock with Coach Harvey Hyde. We look forward to it.
1: There you go. Well, that'll do it for us live at Steiner's Pub. Thanks to everybody here. Great hospitality, as always. Great show. Chuck Hayes, outstanding. Of course, Mark Lawrence and Arthur DeCesar, Art Dice 21. All three guests outstanding, and nobody better than my producer, Mark Hoke. Don't forget the Mark Hoke Show, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. right here, 720 a.m., 101.5 FM. Till tomorrow on a throwback Thursday, you know the rules. No drinking and driving, no texting and driving most of all god bless our troops god bless you live from vegas sports radio 101.5 on the fm side 720 on the am side live from steiner's i'm ken thompson archives up by 11 o'clock god bless folks have a great evening good night everybody